verses up on the screen, um, or if you don't have a Bible, period, we have them in the back. Uh, we want everybody to have their copy of the Word of God. And uh, you all know, and I'll just say it again, when you come to Zion, we're a, a Bible teaching church, <laughs> you know, um, we're going to let God speak to us because uh, he has far more and better things to say than uh, what any of us do. And, uh, and so we're going to listen to his words. Um, and we're kind of finishing up this uh, series that we've kind of entitled God's Naughty List, um, talking about the love of God, but also what God hates. And we're going we're gonna to finish that up this morning. And then uh, the next two weeks, we're going to look at um, Isaiah 9, verse 6. So we'll get very Christmassy or very Messiah-y. I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, and, uh, and so I'm excited about uh, the next two weeks as well. Um, yes, I make up words. I don't think they're real. So just roll with it and laugh. Um, and I usually hear about it at lunch anyway. So, uh, but, um, so, uh, so a question for you. If you were to do a survey um, you know, down on Main Street, or maybe even at work or wherever you go, um, if you were to ask people, um, are humans basically good and occasionally do bad things, or are, they, are humans basically bad and occasionally do good things? What do you think would be, what would people say? What would this world say? And so I'm, I'm not looking for answers. You can just answer that on your own. Or I would, I would encourage you, you know, that's, that's a great question to ask people. Um, and so, but my question is going to be, what would God say? How does God answer that question? Because he does in very specific ways. And so I want to start from Ephesians 2. Uh, God answers that question. Um, this is the bad news. And, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to camp out in the bad news, but we got to talk about the bad news. We, we got to talk about what is the truth. We got to talk about what is reality, um, whether we like it or whether we feel good about it or don't feel good about it. And, and, so, and so here's what he says in Ephesians 2. And again, this is a description. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. These are uh, believers in Jesus Christ. You hear the, uh, the, the way he talks here. He says, you were. And so he's reminding them about what their life was like. And so as he's reminding them of that, he's also talking about those that don't know Christ and what the character of your life is like. And so listen to these words. And um, God pulls no punches. He is... We talked about it, and we're going to see it again, that he, he always speaks the truth. And so here's what he says in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Strong language here. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, what does he say? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so what does God say? God said, you know, we don't just do sin, we just don't do wrong every once in a while as though sin is outside of us. We have a heart problem. Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. 
God's saying that we don't just have a little bit of a problem. We need a heart transplant. We need a soul that's transformed by Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded here, and again, I would encourage you, the rest of this passage is the good news. It's the, the hope that is there. Um, but we've just been focusing the last you know, couple weeks on just talking about the reality of sin. And uh, no one likes to talk about sin because it's a challenge to all of us. We know we all sin more than what we want to. And sin is in opposition to God. And, and God wants us to be holy like him. And so this morning, as we finish up this series, you know, what the theme or what I want to talk about or what I, I think the scriptures talk about is that the cross, as we, you know, as we focus on the cross, at on the cross is where we see the love of God expressed, his love for humanity. God didn't go to the cross for the angels. He didn't go to the cross for anything else. Of, he went to the cross for humanity, that God loves people. The ones that he talked about here, the sons of disobedience. He loves uh, people. He cares about people. And so that is very important to us. But at the same time, the cross expresses God's hatred towards sin. His, and as we talk about hatred, you know, it's not so much the emotional part, his separation. That he had to separate himself because of his holiness. And so in a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to end by uh, partaking communion. And so I want to look at the verse that we're going to focus on, I think, um, Jesus shares this with us. Uh, um, Matthew chapter 27. And so we're going to kind of start at the end, but then work our way back. And so we know this. Jesus is on the cross, and here's what he expresses. In Matthew 27, and again, I want to drive this point home, that the cross is where the love of God is expressed, but also his hatred and his separation Towards sin, that sin is not something that he can just say, well, oh well, um, because of who he is, that he is pure, that he is holy, that he is right. And so here's what Jesus says, verse 45, Matthew 27, verse 45. Now the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so for in order for sin to be paid for, God the Father had to turn his back on Jesus Christ. And again, when we get to heaven, we can find out exactly. We don't know if that was for a moment... But it doesn't matter. That's the price tag of what sin requires. That God had to separate himself because of our sin and because of his holiness. And so Jesus feels the weight of that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Answer, because of all of our sin. That's the answer. That's why he did that. So we see the love of God, 
but also God's hatred, his separation from sin. And so look at uh, verse 50 down at the end here. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And at that point, he gave up his life. He died. He, he died a real death. It wasn't just some imagination. And, and so that's why we celebrate the Lord's table. We, we celebrate with his bread that symbolizes his body. We celebrate with a cup that symbolizes his very blood was spilled. It was a real death to satisfy God's holy and righteous demands for sin. He can't be present with us and I, with, with sin. And I get, well, Steve, he's around. And so, yes, we're living in a time of grace. There will be a point where he will fully separate himself. And so that's why we share the gospel. That's why we talk about this hope. That's why we talk about what, what God shares here. And so we're going to flip back um, to Proverbs chapter 6. And last week, you know, there's all kinds of lists in the Bible. Um, and so we've been looking at this list the last few weeks from Proverbs chapter 6. We looked at, and we're going we're gonna to look at the, the last four Because again, here's where God is uh, telling us what breaks his heart, what, what, what he does not, what he hates. I mean, he says it here. Let me read through the passage again. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And so the point he's making here is this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a specific list. And so... Um, and he's, he's using that. And so last week we looked at verse 17, haughty eyes and a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And so in verse uh, 18, he says, a heart that devises wicked plans. And so what does he say? You know, so he's talking about these, these external things, but now he goes to the heart. The heart. God does not, he hates a heart that devises wicked plans. And so, and the idea here is, you don't have to act on them in order for them to be sin. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you hate your brother, it's as though it's like you murdered him. If you lust after a woman, it's like you committed adultery. So sin is about the heart more than it is about what we do. Our heart, I mean, it, it's both, but it's sourced in, it, it starts in the heart, and that's what... Uh, that's what God is saying. A heart that devises wicked plans. Look up to verse 14, and he, he says it again in this chapter. A perverted heart devises evil. That's what a perverted heart does. And I'm sure as we think of that word evil, we, we kind of probably think of the worst scenario. Oh, that's Hamas. That, I'm not Hamas. I don't do those things. I'm not evil. But evil is more than just the darkest most wicked thing. And so heart, a heart that devises wicked plans. 
back in verse 18, feet that make haste to run to evil. And so we, we all, you know, and, and, and so he's given a contrast here. Instead of running to and running after God, God does not like when we run after evil. When we run away from him. When we want to do our own thing. When we want to have our own way. So a couple weeks ago, um, we were talking about this at, uh, I forget where I, it doesn't matter where, but uh, um, through this series, I've been just, you know, looking at the scriptures and how, you know, how God defines evil, what that looks like. And, uh, and, and as I mentioned, you know, sometimes we look at it as a really dark thing, and there's times that evil is very, very dark. Um, but sometimes it's, God defines evil as it's, not, it's more subtle than that. And so in James, and here's a, an example of that, James chapter 4, you can just listen to these, these words, and I think this is a, um, this is a confrontation uh, to us. Verse 13, he says, Come now, chapter 4, 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we go, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So he's talking about the person here who, who has their plans and, and it's all mapped out and this is what I'm going to do tomorrow and next week and next year. And look what he says. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Does anybody here know what's going to happen tomorrow? No. We hope. You have plans probably. But nobody here knows what tomorrow holds. And so James, in his practical wisdom, is basically saying, calm down. You need to view today from God's perspective. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, here's the way we live by the truth. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so what is righteousness? It's living in light of God knows what today holds and God knows what tomorrow holds. And so let's not live our life excluded from God. Let's live our life in relationship with God, knowing that he knows what tomorrow holds. And so look at this next, verse 16. And this is kind of like, I read this, I'm like, ooh, ouch. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Who says ouch? Ouch, yeah. Yeah. Because I think if we're all, we, we all have our plans, right? And what James is confronting us to say, you know what? In your arrogance. And that's evil. You're not thinking in terms of the way God thinks. And so as we read these passages, you know, back to Proverbs, you know, evil isn't always this ugly, dark thing. It's any time that we are rebellious towards God. It's any time that we say, 
God, I don't want to do that. And so back uh, to uh, verse 18, a heart that devises, uh, from Proverbs uh, 6, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. Verse 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. And so it almost sounds like he's repeating what he said earlier, but he's talking here about, um, yeah, this pattern in our life. Do we have a pattern of telling the truth? Do we have a pattern of, of, uh, of, of being a true uh, witness? Um, because a false witness isn't just not telling the truth. A false witness, their, their testimony is harming another person, right? They're not saying the truth about what someone else has said or done. They're being a false witness. And that could be in the court of law, but it doesn't have to be in a court of law. And so uh, look back at Proverbs chapter 14, or you can listen. Proverbs 14, verse 5, says this. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness breathes out lies. So it's not what you say you do, but it's what you do. To be a faithful witness, you have a pattern of you continue to tell the truth. And a false witness doesn't tell the truth. Um, and so we, we talked about this last week and connected it to uh, God always tells the truth. I've been reading through the book of Titus, and I came across this verse. It wasn't in in the sermon earlier, but I said, you know what, Titus uh, 1, verse 2, and when I was reading it this week, um, I, I said, you know what, Here's, here it is. In hope of eternal life, which God, what does he say next? Who never lies. Promised before the ages began. I don't know if there's more on that or not, but God never lies. Ever. Never means Never. And there's no human being that that's true of. We probably can't even say, I didn't lie today. Because there's maybe some way that you, well, shaded that truth a little bit, or, well, it wasn't, you know, when we dance, we're not telling the truth. It's real easy to tell the truth, right? It's the simplest thing to do. Say what is true. You don't have to try to come up with a gimmick or you just say what it is. God never lies. He is truthful. And so he hates it when we don't tell the truth. So coming back to Proverbs 6, the last, uh, the last, the seventh one that he says here. False witness who breathes out lies and one who sows uh, discord among brothers. And so that's the one where God does not like it when we create uh, division. When we, and it, it can be as innocent as what you think or as not innocent. Creating division. God does not like that at all. He wants us to be truthful and have harmony. Um, he repeated it, look up in verse 14. Um, we read this verse earlier, but he says it again. With a perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. It's a person that has a heart 
instead of doing what is truthful and creating harmony, it's someone who has a heart to splinter things, drive things apart. I think back to when I was a lot younger and with my sister. There'd be times that I would create division by saying the thing that I shouldn't say at the wrong time. Created, you know, and it's that subtle as well as even for us. God doesn't like it when we create division. He wants unity. Uh, you can, he said this to one of the, to the, the, the church that was in Rome. It wasn't one single church, but in Roman, Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Let me just read these verses to you. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine, doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Strong words. Several other books. Strong words to the person who wasn't living the truth and creating division within the body of Christ. Person who is always argumentative. Always has to put their spin on something. God is saying, that's not what I want us to be. And so God is being very clear with this, this list of these are things that he is against. He hates sin. And so, yeah, I get that, hey, maybe this isn't a, a hallmark message, but the truth is, in the midst of God's hatred towards sin is his love as well. And so another passage I got to from, uh, from Titus, and we're going to look at this next, Titus chapter um, 2. And so, Titus chapter 2. This tension of God's love and God's uh, hatred. Separation. Listen to these words. And again, only in the cross do we see the love of God and him forsaking uh, sin as well. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for some people. Is that what it says? Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? Who did Jesus Christ bring salvation for? All. It is available to every human being. Does that mean that all will respond? No, Jesus said it pretty clear. Uh, the way is narrow. And so what he's really saying is, it's available, but the truth is, many will say, eh, I, 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 don't, I, I don't want your way. I'm okay by myself. My life's fine. Nothing bad's happening. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Isn't that the true meaning of what Christmas is about? That God was willing to add humanity 
to his deity so that he could hang on the cross and not just partially pay for sin, but completely pay for sin. And that's why forgiveness only comes through him. Only through him. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 13, one, another one of the strongest verses for the deity of Jesus Christ. You know, when the JWs come knock on your door, take them to this verse. All right? Because what he's saying is that Jesus is both God and Savior. The grace of God is the person of God. It's not just some religious concept that's out there somewhere. But the grace of God is who God is. The one who on the cross expresses his love, but also his holiness towards sin. And he can't just wink it away. And all those things come together. And we see that. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what's the mark of a person that has been changed by Christ? Is that you want to be holy like God is. That's what you want to run towards. You want to run towards him. And so on your day when you, when you fall on your faith and you say, you know what, I, I blew it. You don't make excuses. You don't blame everybody else. You know, we don't act like the world. What we need to be is, you know what, that's been covered. And so I can be honest about it and we can move on. And God can grow us in holiness instead of acting like as Christians while well, we have it all together now because we know Christ. No, that's not true. We're still in the process of becoming holy. And so none of us arrive. None of us are there. And so Paul is saying that in Titus here, the, the reminder for us of, of the, the appearing of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Another verse here, Romans chapter 2. Romans 2, verse 4. He said, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? So the point here is, in other words, do you, do you keep living your life, you know, like, well, I know Jesus died for that, so I can just kind of keep doing what I want to do. Is that the right response to the grace of God in our life? No way. Why would you want to keep living a life of sin when you've been freed from that? And so what is, his, what is the, 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 the reminder here? 
not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance, where we look and we, we agree with God. God, I don't want to keep living that way. I, I trust you. I want to do things your way. His grace leads us to be truthful, to know our true need for Christ. So one last uh, passage here. Second Peter. And I know the question always comes back, well, why is Jesus waiting so long to return? This world is a mess. People are wreaking havoc. Why is he waiting? Well, he tells us. I think that's part of Second uh, Peter 3, 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is, what does he say? Patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so what he's saying here is the reason why God is waiting because he wants, he is patient, he wants more and more people to understand who Christ is and to take the gospel, to take what Christ has done and that their, their, their lives would be changed. God is about grace. And so that's why God allows some of the things that are happening in this world because he wants people to see Christ for who he is. And so what does that do for us? It helps us know how do we pray. It helps us, you know, we, 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 we pray more intentionally. How do we relate to this world that needs Christ? We, we relate with grace and mercy and patience. And we allow God to carry out what God wants to carry out. So as I mentioned before, how do we finish this? We finish this um, coming back to the reminder for us of who is Jesus Christ. Let me read those uh, verses again from uh, Matthew chapter 27. Now in the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So as we practice the Lord's table as believers in Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, the Lord's table is for you. Not because there's anything, grace doesn't happen through this. This doesn't turn into, as some would say, doesn't turn into the body and blood of Christ. He was already, 2,000 years ago, he was sacrificed. He doesn't need to do it over and over again. These are symbols. These are reminders to us of what Christ has done for 
all of humanity, but for you specifically when you put your faith in Christ. Scripture says that we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We're reminding the world that it's only because of Jesus Christ that we can have a relationship with God. We bring nothing to the table. Nothing. Christ brings it all. And so the hope here this morning, too, is maybe you've never trusted Christ this morning. And today would be a great day to do that. Today would be a great day to, to the, the scriptures that we looked at and say, you know what, God, I, I recognize. I've made excuses all my life. I blame everybody else for, you know, my, my sin is their fault and they did it. And, and, and today for the, maybe the first time you say, you know what, God, I recognize that my sin caused Jesus to be forsaken. And you did that lovingly for me. And the best I know how, I want to trust in the finished work of Christ. And so maybe that's you this morning. Not some magical prayer. Not some handshake that we do. Not some religious thing that we do here. It's the honesty of a heart that says, God, I need your grace and your mercy. And Christ is where we know that. It's that simple. Steve, that sounds so simple. It is simple. It's so simple. But that we would be willing to do that. And so uh, we're going to kind of, our, some of you maybe are new, or, and uh, so we have... Um, you know, bread and juice up here, and there's a, a table in the back. Um, we also have, uh, kind of use this time as we do communion to, uh, to give our offering as well. Um, and just to kind of create a, a place where you can, you know, and again, this is one where, hey, you can pray as a family if you want, or you can keep this very uh, personal to you. Um, and, uh, and, but again, the focus is the reminder of Christ and who he is, and that we're proclaiming his uh, death. And, uh, and so the worship team's going to, they're going to come up first, and then uh, we're going to go into some songs in a few moments. But let me, uh, let me just pray before we um, give a few moments here. God, we thank you, Lord, that for the cross. We thank you, Lord, uh, for what it, it represents. It represents your love and your hatred, Lord, that you care so much, but you weren't, you, 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 you paid the price, that Jesus took the brunt of our sin. And he did it joyfully. He did it because he cares that much for the whole world. And so, God, I, I pray as we uh, take a few moments here. And, God, what can see, seem like uh, just an, an everyday thing. Lord, help us to not treat this as, well, just another thing that we do in church. But, God, that we would be reminded of the significance of the cross the significance of your death. God, that would be very meaningful to you. And God, if there is someone here that, that doesn't know you, God, I, I pray for their, that they would not worry about what anybody else thinks, but they, they would honor you. If there's someone here that has never trusted Christ, God, maybe right now, they would feel the weight of their sin fall off of their shoulders because you took it on your shoulders, Jesus. 
But Father, we thank you, God, for all of these things. And in your name, amen.